lot to be thankful for there. See, people ask me from time to time, what's the five-year plan for Sagebrush? And I always say, I don't know, whatever God wants to do. We had no idea that we are going to get this church uh, in the uptown community. Uh, Pastor Fred and his congregation, they just said, you know what? We want to merge with Sagebrush. We want to be more effective in this area than ever before. So a big shout-out to Pastor Fred, who had the vision, and for the community of faith there at Uptown Church. And now we have an Uptown campus, and as you saw for our grand opening. We had 544 people there, so way to go to our Uptown campus. We're very proud of you. If you are watching me from TV or on the stream, or if you're here visiting today and you're a part of another church and it's kind of struggling, you think, you know what? Merging with Sagebrush makes a lot of sense. Just give us a call. Send us an email. We'd love to have a conversation with you about revitalizing your church and making it more effective for the things of God and for the kingdom of God. So we've got lots to be thankful for. Our Highland campus is going to open up again uh, in t- uh, next year in 2024. We're going to have Spanish-speaking services at our Highland campus. That'll be our first Spanish-speaking campus that we've ever had in the history of our church. And we are right now working on some technology that we hope will be able to help us to open up Spanish services at some of our other campuses as well. So maybe God's going to open a door and we'll be able to reach a group of people that we've never been able to reach before. So we're pretty, pretty excited uh, about that. All right, we are in the middle of a series called Stuck Between a Rock and a Hard Place. We've been studying the book of Daniel. So let me kind of recap because we're up to week chapter uh, week three of, and we're in Daniel chapter three. Some of you might have slept uh, since we went through chapter one and chapter two. Some of you might have missed chapter one or chapter two. You missed that weekend. Always download the Sagebrush app. All the messages, all the sermon notes, all the devotionals, all the stuff is there to help you grow spiritually. You want to tell you what happened in week one. Daniel chapter one. In 586 BC, there was a king called Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was the Babylonian king. He came and he invaded the nation of Judah. He laid siege to Jerusalem. He tore down the walls. He broke down the temple. He took back into his position possession, the brightest, best young talent to bring back to Babylon to indoctrinate them into the Babylonian way of life. It is estimated that 25% of the young people were kidnapped or were stolen away, taken back to Babylon. One of those people was a young man by the name of Daniel. He was 15 years old when he was taken away, along with some of his friends. Now, when they get to Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar's job is to bring wash them. He wants them to start worshiping their Babylonian gods. He wants them to start taking small compromises. He gives them new names. He gives them new clothes. He teaches them a new culture. He gives them a new language. And he also gives them a new diet. And the diet that he wants them to eat in chapter one is he wants them to eat food that has been sacrificed to false and pagan gods. One of the things you need to know about Daniel, even at the age of 15, is that he's not going to disappoint God. He doesn't want to break the heart of God. He lives his life according to the word of God. He followed the Levitical law in the book of Leviticus, which clearly states that you are not to eat or drink of anything that has been sacrificed as an altar to a false and pagan God. So they refuse to eat the food that is offered to them. Now, now friends, these folks just wouldn't compromise no matter what. 
Now, isn't that a big difference from what you see in American Christianity today? There just seems to be an ever-widening gap between what people claim to be and what their lives show evidence to. You know, one day we're going to stand before God, every one of us, and you're going to give an account for your life. You want to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. I mean, that's what every Christ follower is going after. But, but I fear for some of us here in this room and some watching from home, I fear that the only thing that you're going to hear God say to you is, well said, good and somewhat faithful servant. Oh, man, you, you talked a good game. Oh, you said you were going to stand the gap. You said you were going to be a difference maker. Hey, well said. You knew the Christian lingo, didn't you? You knew the right phrases to say it just the right time. Too bad you never had a life that backed up the words. Well said. Somewhat faithful servant. You know, I, I really believe some of us are going to hear that. I think some of us are going to hear well-intentioned, good and somewhat faithful servant. Well, you had every intention, didn't you? You had every intention of reading that Bible, didn't you? You had every intention of really seeking God through prayer. You had every intention of loving the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. You had every intention of going across the street and, and, and being a friend to your neighbor and building a relationship with them so you could tell them. You had every intention to do it. Boy, you were going to serve in that ministry, weren't you? That's what you said. Oh, my goodness. You were going to get in that small group. Oh, well-intentioned, good and somewhat faithful servant. Let me tell you about Daniel and his friends. They didn't have any intentions. And when they said something, they meant it. And they backed it up with their very lives. And so they, they said they made a deal with the, with the guy who was in charge of them. and said, listen, we're not going to eat this food. But if you'll give us this diet, this food, and give us 10 days, we believe that our God will be faithful to us, and you'll see a marked difference between us and everybody else who's eating from the king's table. Do you remember when we wrote down on the cards, this is the thing that I'm trusting God for for these next 10 days? It's not a lot of time, is it? But God can show up in the midst of those 10 days. And God showed up for Daniel and for his friends. In fact, when they looked him over, put all the young men up side by side, they, Daniel and his friends were far superior, physically far superior, far superior with wisdom as well. And of course, what, what, what is the whole point of this? Well, if you honor God, I'll honor you. And if you dishonor God, if you're disobedient to God, why in the world would you ever think that you're ever going to be blessed by God? But if you honor God, he will honor you. I want to help you a whole lot here when it comes to your struggles with sin. You ready for this? Some of you are so focused on the sin that you're, you're, you're finding yourself being tempted by it because it's all you think about. There's an old saying that goes like this, whatever gets your attention gets you. And so if all you're thinking about is that temptation, you're thinking about that sin, it's just a matter of time before you're going to go that direction. If you're thinking about the compromise, it's a matter of time before you're compromised. Here's what you got to do instead, friends. you got to dream a dream that's so big, that's so awesome, that's so amazing. you got to have a vision for what God has for your life that is so good that you would say, I'm not even thinking of going this direction. I mean, settling for this when I can have this is a no-brainer. That's the way it was for Daniel and for his friends. They had such a great vision of what God could do and what God would do in their life that when they had the chance to compromise, even in a small area like food, 
They said, we're not going to settle for a less than kind of a life. We will be faithful to the one who's always been faithful to us. So God raised them up and they became wise men in Babylon. Well, chapter 2 opens up. Daniel's now 17 years old. Two years has gone by. King Nebuchadnezzar's had a dream. You remember this from last week? Nebuchadnezzar's had a dream. He calls all his wise guys together, at least the ones who were around the palace at the time. He says, I've had a dream. I want you to interpret the dream. They said, fantastic. We'd be glad to interpret your dream. They said, what was the dream? He said, I'm not telling you the dream. They said, well, how do you expect us to interpret the dream if you're not going to tell us the dream? And Nebuchadnezzar says, well, I thought you were wise men. I thought you had some kind of supernatural abilities and powers. I don't need to tell you my dream. You should be able to come up with the dream already. I mean, anybody can come up with the meaning of the dream if I tell you what the dream is. You see, Nebuchadnezzar was pretty smart, wasn't he? Because he knew that all these guys who claimed to be wise men, psychics, he knew they were frauds. So he said, I want to know what the dream was, and I want to know what the meaning of the dream was. And they said, it's impossible. There's no way we can do this. And Nebuchadnezzar said, fine, I'll kill you. I'll cut you up into little pieces. I'll tear your house down. Nebuchadnezzar says that over and over and over again in the book of Daniel. I'm going to kill you. I'm going to chop you up, tear your house down. And so he begins to start to kill them. And so one of the officials goes to Daniel's house. He didn't know what's going on. And they say, we're here to kill you. And Daniel says, why are you going to kill us? And says, well, you haven't interpreted the, the, the king's dream. And Daniel said, well, we haven't even had a chance. Would you give us a stay of execution? Would you give us a window of time so we can seek our God? Maybe he'll be gracious. Maybe he'll share with us what the king's dream was and the meaning of the dream. And Nebuchadnezzar says, you get this much time. And so they pray a big, hairy, audacious prayer. And God is so gracious to Daniel and his friends. He reveals the dream. He reveals the meaning of the dream. And so Daniel comes to him. And now we're in chapter 2, verse 46. He interprets the dream for the king. Look at what the king does. It says, Nebuchadnezzar bowed to the ground before Daniel. So here we have the king, the most powerful man on the face of the earth, bowing down before a 17-year-old teenager. It says he worshipped him and he commanded the people to offer sacrifices and burn sweet incense before him. Now, and if I'm Daniel, I'm like, yeah, you better bow down. You get down on your knees right now, Nebuchadnezzar. I'll, tell you, I'll pray a big, hairy, audacious prayer and you'll be dead. That's what will happen right here. You better bow down. But Daniel was different from me. He, uh, he gave all the credit to God. Friends, every good and perfect gift that you and I have ever received is all because of God. It's for God. To God be the glory, great things he's done. So chapter 2 comes to a conclusion. Now we go to chapter 3. You might want to make this a little note in your Bible. Between chapter 2 and chapter 3, 15 years goes by. See, when you read the Bible, you think it's like the next day, this is what happened. No, no, that's not the way it works in the Bible. They'll jump from year to year. And so 15 years has gone by. Daniel and his friends are now in their 30s. A lot of preachers, they preach this to say that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were, the, were teenagers during this time. That's just not true. They were in their young 30s when this happened. Now, what's interesting about chapter 3 is that Daniel's not mentioned. You see, after Daniel interpreted the dream, he got a new position in the kingdom of Babylon. He was now the mayor of Babylon. And most scholars believe the reason that Daniel isn't mentioned in chapter 3 is because he's off in another country doing the king's business. Because we know this about Daniel, that when this statue comes out that's 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide and everyone is commanded to bow down, we know of Daniel well enough to know he would have stood with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So he must be out of town. So his three friends are forced to face this 
on their own. And as I just said, Nebuchadnezzar's made a golden idol, 90 feet tall, 9 feet wide. Most scholars believe that the idol was made in Nebuchadnezzar's image because the guy is such a narcissist. And he commands everyone to bow down before it. Verse 4, chapter 3. This is what you are commanded to do, O peoples and nations of every language. As soon as you hear the music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Therefore, as soon as, you, as they heard the sound of the, all the music, all the people and nations of every language fell down and worshiped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Now, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego know exactly what's right and what's wrong. They know what the Word of God has to say about bowing down before false gods. Exodus chapter 20, verse 3 says, You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. So, so here, here's my question. What would you do? Let's say you're living during the times of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The king at the time has brought out a golden statue and tells you you have to bow down before it. Would you bow down? Now, a lot of us, we, we just think we would. We wouldn't bow down. We, we, we would stand up, right? That's what you think. But let me ask you a question. How many times have you bowed down to the pressure of today? How many times did you not stand up for Jesus when you had the opportunity to? How many times have you let something slide? And let me tell you something about this situation. The stakes are a lot higher in it. Because if you make a stand for God in this situation, you get thrown into a furnace. You get burnt up. This is your dying day if you don't bow down. So what would you do? The music begins to play. Everybody starts to bow down. Would you be thinking, this is a good time for me to tie my shoe right now. That's what it is, a good time. Oh, I got a cramp. I got a cramp. I got to let me get down here and mess with my cramp. Would you fake it? Or would you stand for the one who's always stood for you? Would you be faithful to the one who's always been faithful to you? Faithfulness is not about going with the flow, friends. Faithfulness is not about the status quo. Faithfulness is about advancing the kingdom of God. Faithfulness is standing when everybody else is bowing down. In a nation that grovels at the feet of this false god, there were three who had the courage to say, I don't care what you do to me. I'm not bowing down to this idol. Look at what happens in verse 8. At this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. That word denounced here literally means to eat the pieces of them. The intent of the writer is to say that this is intense hostility towards Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These astrologers who have come forward, they work for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they don't like the fact that they're having to follow these three Jewish men. And so they want to get rid of them. They want to eliminate them. And so when they find out that these three men haven't bowed down to the image of gold, they immediately run into Nebuchadnezzar, the tattletales that they were, and they say, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, long live the king. There are three men who refuse to bow down to the image of gold. Well, Nebuchadnezzar was furious, so he called the three men, and he says, is it true? Is it true? Now, gentlemen, I'm going to give you one more opportunity. The music is going to play. You get on your knees and you 
bow down. And then he says this, and if you don't, what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Now, this is a rhetorical question. Nebuchadnezzar is not looking for an answer. Sometimes parents will use rhetorical questions, won't they? You're going to leave a piece of cake for your sister. Now, they're not looking for an answer from the little brother. Yes, I will leave several pieces of cake for the sister. No, they're not looking for that. What they're basically saying is, you will leave a piece of cake for your sister. It's more of a statement than it is a question. I do this sometimes. I ask rhetorical questions to my wife. She'll come home from shopping. I'll say, did you buy anything? It's a rhetorical question. I already know the answer. I already know the answer. Of course, she bought something, and she will look at me with a rhetorical look, and that's my opportunity to shut my mouth. That's what that is right there. Well, they answered the question that nobody was supposed to answer, and boy, did they answer it well. They said, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he doesn't, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. This is one of the most remarkable statements of faith in the entire Bible. What are they saying here? They're saying our God is able. Our God can do the impossible. Our God can do anything. I thought we'd have a little bit of fun. I'm going to ask you to do something you might not be comfortable with, but just play along with the pastor. I want all the multi-site campuses to play along as well. If you're at home, play along too. You might feel a little bit weird, but that's okay. I'm going to ask you to stand up if any of these statements are true in your life, okay? Let's try the first statement. Our God is able to comfort me when I grieve. If that's been true in your life, stand to your feet. I just want to see. Our God is able to comfort me when I grieve. That's awesome. Go ahead and have a seat. That's awesome. Way to go. This is going to be the Catholic portion of our service. We're going to be <laughs> up and down quite a bit. Some of you who don't work out on your legs, you're going to feel a little bit strained by the end of it, okay? It's, it's going to be a burning sensation through here when we are done, also in your glutes, okay? I just want you to know that, okay? How about this one? Some of these are harder to stand for than others, but give praise to God, okay? God is able to mend a broken marriage. If that's true, stand up. Oh, yay, God. Let's give God a hand of applause for that. That's awesome. You can have a seat. Let me give you another one. God's able to remove my guilt. Is that true of you? Stand up to your feet. That's powerful. You can have a seat. Last one. God's able to give me peace in the midst of the storm. Praise God. You can have a seat. Listen, these three guys, they said, listen, our God's able. You asked what God could rescue us from your hand? Oh, well, there is a God in heaven. And he's more than able. He's more than capable. He has been so good to me. And he has shown up in my life again and again and again and again and again. Oh, King, I want you to know our God is able. But then it continues. But even if he doesn't, even if you throw us in that furnace, we just want you to know we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. Now, what do you bet that these three guys prayed that this day would never come? Don't you think that Daniel and his friends knew this day was coming their way? Don't you think so? 
I mean, you're building a statue 90 feet tall, 9 feet wide. It's made of solid gold. I'm sure the word got out around Babylon. And don't you think these guys got together and they probably prayed? And they probably prayed that God would intervene, that God would change their circumstance, that God would change their situation, that God would have a change of heart in Nebuchadnezzar's heart, that he would realize that there's only one true God and that these gods, these false gods at the Babylon, don't you think they were hoping that he would repent, that this day would never come? And with Daniel out of town, don't you think that they were praying that if the music began to play, that nobody would notice that they were standing? Every single one of their prayers wasn't answered the way they hoped it would be. And now they find themselves facing this fire. And what I love about these three guys is they won't let go. They won't let go. No matter what's going on around them, no matter what storm they're facing, no matter all hell breaking loose around them, they continue to worship and praise the one true living God. Now the band's out, and they're going to sing a defiant faith song. I hope it resonates in your soul. And then I'm going to come back, as Paul Harvey says, and tell you the rest of the story. Give me peace when I am tossed and frightened, lost among the waves. Give me hope when I'm in doubt and fears are clouding up my faith. Would you come and move the mountains? Cause I'm too weak to climb. Promise that you're with me in the fight. I can hear but I'm okay cause you're with me I know you will cover me I'll be safe cause you're with me I'll be okay I'll be Tragedy could hold the sharpest blade against my skin Threatening to open all the wounds I've tried to mend Would you come and be the healer that I know I've seen before You've promised me that I can be restored I can Make 
Now, unfortunately, not a lot of people have that kind of defiant faith. When they find themselves facing the fire, when they find themselves in, in deep guacamole, as we might say, when they find themselves in a situation that makes absolutely no sense, you know what they do? They curse God. They get mad. They walk away from him. They won't have anything to do with him. Last week, I uh, went through a fire. My wife went in for a normal procedure, robotic surgery. It wasn't supposed to be that big of a deal. And they nicked a vein that went up to her heart, and she began to bleed out. And I got a phone call as I'm waiting to hear that the surgery was successful from a very concerned doctor who's ordered five units of blood and tells me he's going to have to open her up and that he can't do the, the task. He has to call in some vascular surgeons, a team, to stop the bleeding. She's in stable condition. We'll call you back. My youngest daughter, Cammie, was with me. And the first thing we think is, oh, no. I might lose my wife. She might lose her mom. And our first thought was that we were going to pray. And so we did. We cast all our cares upon him because he cares so much for us. And uh, I started thinking about, okay, what are we going to do for this weekend? What's, what's going to happen? i got to get somebody else to preach. we got to do this. we got to do that. And I'm on the phone, and hour goes by, hour and a half goes by. I am beside myself. We haven't heard anything. And the longer the time goes by, the more I'm thinking this is getting worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. And so finally I go to where the nurses are, and I told him the situation. I said, I got a phone call from the doc. He said, there's an issue. I need to know what's going on. And so the doctor said, well, we're still working on it, but she's stable. We believe she's going to be okay. Well, she was. She is okay. I just kept thinking to myself, if I lose my wife, who am I going to marry next? That's what I kept thinking. (laughs) I did not think that. Here was the question I wrote down for you and me. Is my devotion to God based on what I get from God? If he takes my wife, will I still follow him? Will I still serve him? Will I still love him? And the answer for me is yes, I will. Yes, I will. Blessed be the name of of the Lord God Almighty. If the only thing he's ever given you is salvation, he's been better to you than you deserve. We are sinners, and we deserve death, and we deserve hell. Think of all the times you've wounded him. Think of all the promises you've broken. Think of all the terrible, nasty things you've done to him. And yet he still sends his son to die for you. If the only gift he ever gave you was Jesus, oh man, you've gotten the greatest gift that you could ever have. Now, all this other stuff, it's cake. It's added on to the amazing grace and salvation that Jesus has given to us. These three guys, they say, you know what? We're not bowing down. And even if we have to go in that furnace, so be it. We are not turning our back on the one true God. 
Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude toward them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to throw them in the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent, the furnace was so hot, that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement. And asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw in the fire? They said, certainly, O king. He said, look, I see four. I see four men walking around that fire, unbound and unharmed. And the fourth looks like a son of the gods. And I can just imagine them as he's looking at that fire and the four of them are running around singing and dancing. We didn't start the fire. It's been always burning since the world's been turned. I just believe that that happened. I think Billy Joel stole that from Scripture. I really do. I'm sure they prayed that they wouldn't end up in the furnace. But God said no. But I'll be with you in the midst of the furnace. Most scholars believe this is an Old Testament appearance of Jesus in that furnace. Because even when you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you'll fear no evil. For he's with you. His rod and his staff, they comfort you. One of the things that we've been talking about for these past few weeks is that sometimes there's lessons that can only be learned in the midst of the storm. How do you know that God's all you need till he's all that you've got? I read an interesting story this past week about a silversmith. A silversmith's job is to purify silver. Do you know how they do it? They put the silver in a fire, and they're waiting for the impurities to rise to the very top, and then they scrape the impurities away from the silver. Now, the silversmith has to always keep his eye on the flame, has to always keep his eye on the silver to make sure it doesn't get overheated. If it gets overheated, then it's ruined. The question you might have is, how in the world does a silversmith know when the silver is ready to, ready to be used? You ready for this? It's when the silversmith can see his reflection in it. And so it is with God. He'll put us in a fire to purify us, to get rid of the impurities of our life. He'll scrape away the impurities. But he's watching you the whole time. He's making sure that the heat isn't too intense because he's bound and determined that you reflect him. And if I've said it once, I'll say it a thousand times. God's not interested in your comfort, friends. Oh, you are, but he's not. He's interested in your character. He wants you to be more and more like Jesus. Well, look at verse 26, Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. Now, the entryway of the furnace was hot. If I was one of those three guys, I'd say, what? Come out closer. <laughs> so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire. And the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their head singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. 
Then look at what happens next. Nebuchadnezzar changes the law. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble. Again, if you cut me into little pieces, I don't care what you do to my house. You know, it just doesn't make any sense. And then he says this. He says, uh, there's no other God that can save in this way. I believe that. I, I don't know what fire you're facing. I don't know what you're going through. Life can turn on a dime. I can tell you that. I can tell you as Cammie and I sat in that waiting room, waiting to hear the news, good or bad. We knew we weren't alone. God was with us in the midst of it all. Now, friends, if you don't know him, if you don't have a relationship with him, you're facing all this on your own. And I don't know why in the world you'd want to do that. He's the peace in the midst of the storm. He's the calm in the midst of the chaos. He came for you. He died for you. He died for your sin. Even though you had broken his heart a thousand times, he still loves you. He still wants to have a relationship with you. He rose again from the dead for you. And he wants to help you in this life. He wants to be your rock. In this ever-shifting tides that we find, he wants to be your refuge, your hiding place. He wants to be your strength when you don't have it. So here's my question. Do you know him? And I didn't ask, do you know about him? I want to know, do you know him? Do you love him? Do you walk with him? Do you talk with him? Do you want to? Because the Bible says today is the day of your salvation. It's not about tomorrow, friends. It's about right now. Right now, what is God asking of you? So here's what's going to happen. I'm going to pray. Daniel's going to come out. We're going to sing a song. We're going to stand together. We're going to give you an opportunity to come forward and say, I want Jesus in my life. I want God to walk with me and talk with me. I want to repent of my sin, and I want Jesus to take over. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we are so grateful that even when we find ourselves in the midst of a fire, that we are never alone, that you are with us, and that you can turn something so horrific and awful and bad into something big and bold and beautiful. Lord, I pray for people in this room and people at home right now that don't have a relationship with you. Every day is a struggle. Every day they feel an emptiness doesn't have to be that way, Lord. I pray today would be the day of their salvation. Today would be the day they'd make that phone call. Today would be the day they'd send that text. Today would be the day they would have the courage to step out of the aisle that they're on and come down to the front and say, I want Jesus in my life. So, Lord, your will be done in this time. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.